that you would have me to say, the things that you want me to say, and that we would uh, be able to know, Father, that we've met with you tonight. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 35, and if you've been with us on Sunday nights, you've, uh, you, you've gone through the life of Jacob. If you remember, last week, and I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but last week when we were in Genesis 34, we talked about Jacob's failures. And we saw Jacob's failure as a pilgrim, and we saw Jacob's failure as a parent, and we saw Jacob's failure as a protector. And you've got to understand that chapter 35 starts right where 34, obviously, I'm not talking about, you know, in order, but I'm talking about the events, they, they, they're, it, it continues on with the story. And if you remember, like I said, I'm not going to take the time, but if you remember last week, we saw that Dinah uh, was defiled, Jacob's daughter was defiled by a worldly boy there, and because of Jacob's inability to protect his daughters, his sons took it upon themselves and tricked those men, and we won't go into the story, but they tricked those men into doing certain things that made them very vulnerable, and then those boys went into that city, the city of Shechem, and they uh, killed every man in that city, and slaughtered every man in that city there. Jacob is now learning about these events, learning about what happened, learning about his daughter being you know, defiled sexually, learning about his boys going in and literally murdering and massacring an entire city. And Jacob, I'm sure, was probably on the verge of insanity, I would imagine. I'm sure any of us in that situation, I, I, well, I'm sure none of us have ever even been close to living through something like that. But I'm sure Jacob was sitting there on the verge of insanity, there sat in the camp his only daughter, defiled, destroyed, and desolate. She was made a widow before she was ever even given a chance to be a wife, if you remember. She was living with Shechem, ready to marry him, when her brothers came in and killed him. There sat Levi and Simeon. If you just look at the last two verses of Genesis 34... We see when Jacob confronted his sons in regards to their actions, the Bible says, And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to speak among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me, and slay me, and I shall be destroyed. And look at the reaction of his sons in verse 31. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? There sat Levi and Simeon, defiant, after they carried out the massacre in Shechem. I'm sure the news of these deaths have been is just traveling like wildfire through the uh, region there, which is why Jacob is worried that these people are going to come back and want revenge, and these other nations, the other cities, are going to come back and destroy his family because of the actions of his children. And if there was ever a time that Jacob, as we studied Jacob's life, if there was ever a time that Jacob needed to hear from God, this was it. If there was ever a time that Jacob felt vulnerable, that Jacob felt like he needed God's help, this was it. And I love how the very first verse of chapter 35, after we went through this entire story, this entire distress, this, this tough time in Jacob's life, the very first verse of chapter number 35 says, And God said unto Jacob. 
Right when Jacob needed to hear from God, God spoke, and the Bible says that God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. The Bible says that God said, Go up to Bethel. Now, you may be familiar with this, but what is Bethel? What does Bethel represent? If you go back with me to Genesis chapter number 28... Genesis chapter number 28, and you look at verse number 16. Genesis chapter number 28, if you look at verse number 16. If you remember, back when we were preaching through the life of Abraham, Bethel was the place where Abraham first called upon the Lord, where Abraham got saved. Bethel is where Jake, where Abraham went back to after he, he was backsliding and he went down into Egypt. And if you look at Genesis chapter number 28, and you look at verse number 16, when Jacob was originally running from his brother Esau, because he lied and he stole the blessing of Esau, and he was afraid Esau was going to kill him, the Bible says that he went to this place, Bethel. He went to this place, and he saw a dream, and he saw a ladder, and he saw angels descending in the, in the ladder there, and he saw God, you know, uh, meeting with him there. And in verse 16, the Bible says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and took the stone that he had put in his pillow, and set it up for a pillow, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. So you see there that God met with Jacob at Bethel, and God became real to Bethel. I believe Jacob got saved at Bethel, and Jacob said, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he said, Surely this is the house of God. Bethel, you've got to understand, Bethel was in the Old Testament up to this point, and we preached an entire sermon on this before, where we talked about the house of God and how it changed throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. But at this point in history, Bethel, as far as Jacob was concerned, was the house of God. And when Jacob came to this tough time in his life where he had nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, didn't know what to do, on the verge of insanity, on the verge of you know just being distraught and, and destroyed, God said to him, get back to Bethel. Get back to the house of God. Get back to, to where God's house is. Now, go with me quickly, and we're going to be coming back to Genesis. Obviously, that's our text tonight. But go with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3 in the New Testament. And I say this often because uh, it's easy to find, but if, you're, if you have trouble finding 2 Timothy, you just want to find all those uh, books there in the Bible that start with the T. Uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. And you'll be able to find there Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and look at verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and look at verse number 15. When Jacob needed to hear from God, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. What was he saying? He said, go back to the house of God. And, and you say, well, today, you know, how do we, if, if, I, if I need to get back, and I want you to understand this, God initiated in Jacob on that moment the process of association. Of God associating Himself with Jacob, even more than ever. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number 15. We say, well, what is the house of God today? What is the house of God today? I'm sorry, I said 2 Timothy 3.15. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.15. I apologize for that, that was a test. 2 Timothy 3.15. 1 
1 Timothy 3.15. That's what I meant to say. 1 Timothy 3.15. In a very familiar verse, we've read it often here. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now you say, well, what is the house of God today? Is it Bethel? Do we need to travel back to uh, Bethel in Israel? Well, look what it says. It says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Look what it says. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So according to the Bible, today, for the New Testament believer, the house of God is not Bethel. The house of God is not that Old Testament tabernacle. The house of God is not that Old Testament temple. The house of God for the New Testament believer is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. So when God told Jacob, I need you to get back to Bethel, I need you to get back to to the house of God, then we need to understand, when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves distraught, when we find ourselves in need, when we find ourselves hurt and not understanding. The first thing we've got to do is you've got to get back to the house of God. You say, what's the house of God? The church of the living God. The church. Now there, there and I'm going to take time to do this tonight because there's, there's a misconception by many as to what exactly a church is. Go with me, you're there in 1 Timothy. Go to the right of your Bible and go with me to 2 Timothy and Titus. And right after Titus you have the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 2. And let's do a little bit of a Bible study. Hebrews chapter number 2. And look at verse number 12. I know I've done this multiple times before, but it's not bad for you to hear it again. But God says that His house is the church. So then we got to ask this question, what is a church? Hebrews chapter number 2, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Hebrews 2.12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now, I'd like you to keep your finger there in Hebrews 2.12. And keep your finger there because we're going to reference back to this verse. But go with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 22. If you open up your Bible, just write smack down in the middle. You'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And go with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. And look at verse number 1. And that's not the verse I wanted. I'm sorry. Psalm... 22 and verse 22. Psalm 22 and verse 22. I'm getting myself all confused. Psalm 22 and verse 22. Now keep your finger there in Hebrews 2.12 because I want you to see this. Psalm 22 and look at verse number 22. The Bible says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Alright, make note of this, make note of this phrase. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Now, the writer, which I believe is Paul, of the book of Hebrews was quoting Psalm 22:22 when he penned down Hebrews 2:12, which says, Go back to Hebrews 2:12. And notice the similarities. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now, Psalm 22, 22 says, In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Hebrews 2, 12 says, That in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And, you know, oftentimes as you read your Bible, a good way to study your Bible is when the Bible quotes itself. And you reference those quotes and you see the differences. Often it's not a mistake. People think, oh, that's a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. God's trying to show us. See, the Bible is its own definition. The Bible is its own dictionary. And what God is showing us here, Psalms 22, 22 says, In the midst of the congregation will I sing praise unto thee. Hebrews 2, 12 says, In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. What God is trying to show us is that the word church and the word congregation are synonymous. They're the same thing. A 
church is a congregation. A church is an assembly. A church is a group of people. In America today, we have this idea that church is a building with stained glass windows. Church is a building with a steeple and a cross. Church is, you know, but that's not, you, you cannot find that teaching in the Bible. Church is not a building. Church is a group of believers coming together, congregating together, assembling together. That's what church is. You say, well, how is that a church? Because when you got saved, the Bible says that you became the temple of God and the Holy Spirit began to live inside of you. And when we, as the house of the Holy Spirit, as the temple of God, unite together, we become the body of Christ, the house of God. And when you are hurting, and when you are in pain, and when you don't know what to do, you must run not to a building, but to a church, to a congregation. To a group of believers that will love you, and that will pray for you, and that will watch over you, and that will be with you. Thank God, you can go back with me to Genesis. Thank God that there was a Bethel for Jacob to run back to. And I really, you know, I, I, I really want our church people to understand, church is not a building, you know. When you drive down by a church, you, you ought never call, oh, there's, there's, there's a church. No, that's a church building. We used to call those the church house, because they housed the church. What was the church? The believers. You know, so don't, you know, and this is why we can meet in a house. This is why we can meet in a storefront, we can meet in a school, we can meet under a tree. We can meet wherever and we still be church, because you're the church. Not the building, not the roof, not the paint, but the people, is the congregation. The word congregation means a group of people. You know, like we have Congress in, you know, D.C., where it's a bunch of representatives congregating together. That's what congregation means. But you know, praise the Lord that there was a Bethel for Jacob to go back to after he failed as a pilgrim, as a parent, as a protector. There was a Bethel to go back to. And you know the analogy there is, is that that's our job, is to stay faithful, is to stay with the stuff. You remember the story of the prodigal, the prodigal son? Remember how the prodigal son, you know, just ran off and took his inheritance and wasted and all that? You know what makes the story of the prodigal son so beautiful? Is that his father was still there to, for him to come home to. You know, could you imagine the prodigal son was trying to, you know, trying to get right with God, and he decided, I'm going to go back home, and his dad wasn't there. He came back home, and he said, where's dad? And he said, dad actually, you know, took your advice, and he went out partying, and he went out riding, and he went out doing all sorts of things. Thank God that there was a father for the prodigal son to go to. You know, at, you know... It's funny, and, I, and I'll never do this, but I wish I could. You know, I, I would love to go through the visitors' cards, you know, because we're, we're coming on our one-year anniversary, and go through the visitors' cards and show how many people have came to our church and maybe even taken part of our church, and then they quit our church, you know, and they get mad about something, or they don't like something, or whatever, you know, or, or they just, you know, for whatever reason, you know, uh, get back or whatever, and they quit the church. You know, and you know what I'm looking forward to? Is when Verity Baptist Church has been here long enough to where some of those people start coming back. To where some, you know, I want those people, when they come to the end of their life, when they come to the end of their, you know, when they find themselves in trouble, they say, man, i got to get back to church. I want them to say, I wonder if that very Baptist church, I wonder if that pastor he met, I wonder if that little congregation, I wonder if they're still meeting, I wonder if they're still serving, I wonder if they're still preaching, I wonder if they're still serving, and I want them to come up and look at them and say, man, they're still there. They're still faithful. Because Jacob failed as a Christian in chapter 34, but in chapter 35, he could go back to them. He could go back to the house of God. And that's what our goal needs to be. Look at verse 2. God commanded 
Jacob to go back to the house of God, but Jacob had to prepare to go back. If you look at chapter, verse number 2, the Bible says, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, notice what Jacob says to his household, Put away the strange gods that are among you. You say, what are strange gods? Those are the idols that they had. The Bible says that we ought not have idols. We ought not have images. We ought not have... In the Ten Commandments, uh, and you can go with there if you'd like with me, go, go to Exodus chapter number 20, and look at verse number 3. We have the very well-known Ten Commandments. But the Bible says in... In uh, Genesis chapter number 3 and verse... I'm sorry, Genesis... Uh, Exodus chapter number 20 and verse 3. The Bible says, this is the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment 2, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep by my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that's the next command. But I want you to notice this. And, and, and let me teach you something. You know, The Bible says, because oftentimes we as Christians, it says, Thou shalt have another God before me. And people think, well, as long as we don't have an, other, an idol of another God, we're fine. You know, like as long as I don't have like some, you know, uh, like the, the Hindus where they have that elephant God with the different hands. And all, as long as we don't have that, as long as I don't have a little Buddha. But notice what it says. You know, as Baptists, we pride ourselves on reading the Bible and taking it for what it says. And look what he says in verse 3. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. True. But in verse 4, that's a separate commandment. And he didn't say, you know, don't make an idol of another God. He said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any great image. So does God want you to have any image? I mean, answer the question based on the Bible. Does God want you to have any image? He says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. He didn't say any graven image just as long as it's about of Jesus Christ, that's okay. Or as long as it's about God, that's okay. He said, don't even make an image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Notice, he said that is in heaven above. Or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, Christians have gotten this idea. Have, who's ever seen the little Jesus, the little uh, Christian fish that people put on their cars? You know, they're Christians. Now, look. If anybody in this room has one, I don't know it. I'll be honest with you. I've never seen it or whatever. But you know, we as Christians, we ought to be against that. Because look what he says. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Does a fish count as something that's in the water under the earth? Now people say, well that's, that's a little symbol for Christianity. We don't have a religion of symbols. That's paganism. That's, you know, paganism come from Eastern mysticism. We ought not have, you know, you ought not have that little fish and say, oh well I'm a Christian. Or here's the other one, a little dove. You know, people say, they have this little dove, and they say, oh, well, that's the Holy Spirit. First of all, if you read the Bible, the Bible never says that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus. It never says that it was a dove. It says he came down as a dove, meaning it rested on him like if a dove was flying over him. It never said to make a dove. And we ought not make an image of that. You ought not have an image of Jesus Christ. You ought not have an image of any image. Because we shouldn't even make them. He says, thou shalt not have, thou shalt not make. That's the key word. 
He didn't say don't have an image of other gods. He said don't even make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. And then notice he says, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. So are we supposed, because do you remember when we studied worship in the Bible? What was the one thing in the Bible that we could not get away from? What was worship? Bowing down. I mean, I won't take the time to do it, but we, we looked at, I don't know, 30 different references from the Old Testament and New Testament. Finding the word worship, you know, I know these churches are like, well, we have our worship service where the rock concert gets up and we wave our hand and we're worshiping Jesus. That's not what worship is. Worship is bowing your knee. And the Bible says if you bowed yourself in front of an image, God says don't do it. You know why? Because that's worshiping that image. But I want you to notice, and the reason I showed you that is because if you go to Genesis 35, 4, look at what Jacob was allowing his children to have. Look at Genesis 35, 4. And they gave unto Jacob all their strange gods which were in their hands. Now notice, they gave Jacob their strange gods. That's because they were idols. So notice, Jacob was allowing his children to have idol worship in his house. But also notice this. When Jacob had to go back to the house of God, he knew to get rid of it. Isn't that interesting? He began to clean up. He said, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And I don't have time to do this, but, you know, study the Bible, and you will find that earrings, earrings on males in the Bible has always been connected with paganism. Always. You, say, you know, and, and sometimes people don't like that type of preaching, but that's the truth. Study it out. When they were making that golden calf to worship, when they came out of, uh, when Moses went up to the mount, do you remember he told the young men to give them their earrings? And it's always been connected with paganism. There was a time in this country where men didn't wear earrings. That was something that ladies wore. You know, so, so we, gotta, we gotta... Everything that our society does, everything that our world does, we've got to learn to filter it through God's Word. And I understand, sometimes we, we think, oh, I didn't know that was bad, or I didn't know... And we understand, we're not mad at anybody, but, but you gotta learn... To, that's why you gotta be in your Bible. You're like, we're preaching this morning. You gotta be in your Bible. You gotta be reading your Bible. Because... You, you know, I mean, this is a deep book. We can't preach it to you all on Sunday morning, you know. So you got to be in it so you can understand, so you can read, so you can learn, and then you can judge and say, man, a lot of people are doing that, but that's not good. Now, I'm not saying we ought to go and be mean to people and tell, hey, get that earring out, or hey, take that little image out. And you, just, you know, we ought not be rude to people. But we've got to understand where we stand before God because we're going to be judged by this book. So notice, he tells them to clean up their act. Look at verse 5. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now here's, here's very interesting. Jacob's sons just massacred an entire city. And these people are coming back for revenge. But as they journeyed, look what the Bible says. As they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about. You know what God did? When they started to pack up their bags and started to say, we're getting to Bethel. And, and, and you know, and I, skip, I think I might have skipped verse 3. Look, look at verse 3 in the, in the subject of cleaning up your life. He said, and let us rise and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the days of my distress and was with me, uh, which I went. But when they began to journey to go towards Bethel, the Bible says that God protected them. And, and you've got to understand this. When you take a step towards God, God takes a step towards you. 
You don't have to turn there, but let me read this verse for you in the New Testament. James chapter number 4 and verse 8 says this. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. The Bible says that if you draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to you. And Jacob probably was going to die. Jacob's family was probably going to die. But when God said, Jacob, get back to Bethel. And Jacob said, okay God. And he went to his family. He said, get rid of the idols. Get rid of the images. Get rid of the, the, the you know, let's quit sacrificing. Get rid of the earrings. Let's get ourselves cleaned up. Verse 2, and then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean. Notice the emphasis on cleanliness. And be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And when Jacob took that initial step towards God in verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5, God took a step towards Jacob. And the terror of God was upon those cities and God protected him. James 4.8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. This is what we were preaching about this morning. You're saying, oh, well, do I really need to go to church three times a week? Well, look, the more steps you take towards God, the more steps God is going to take towards you. And often people say, uh, oh, I feel like God's so far away from me. I feel like God's so far away from my life and He's not helping me. Well, maybe you ought to take a step towards Him and then He'll take a step towards you. Amen. And if you take an additional step towards him, he'll take an additional step towards you. See, Jacob's life in chapter 34 was so out of, you know, just spinning out of control. But as soon as he took a step towards God, God took a step towards him. And, he, and the reverse is true. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. If when we take a step towards God, God takes a step towards us, then you've got to understand this. When we take a step away from God, God takes a step away from us. The Bible calls that backsliding. The Bible calls that way. If, if you look, if you were ever at the place where you were reading your Bible every day, and now you're not reading your Bible every day, you know what you did? You just slid back. You took a step back. And the moment you took a step back from God, God took a step back from you. You you used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now you're just kind of Sunday morning and Wednesday night if you can make it. Well, look, when you take a step back. God's going to take that, you know. You say, what happened to America? That's what happened to America. There used to be a time in this country when the fear of God was in the people of this nation. But as we decided to take a step away from God, when we, you know, uh, legalized abortion, when we, you know, we kicked God out of the public school, uh, and then we, we did all sorts of things, and, and now we're delegalizing, you know, sodomite marriages all across this country. And we're, you know, doing all these things. We were just talking about last night about the governor of the state of California mandating that gay history be taught to our children. And I'm telling you something. As our country takes a step away from God and a step away from God, I'm telling you, the hand of God is coming off of this country because God is moving away. And you wonder why things, you know, all these terrorist attacks and all these financial crises and all these people say, it seems like God has forsaken America. No! We forsook God! And when we stepped away from God, He stepped away from us. And in your personal life, if you're not careful, the more steps from God you take, the more steps He will take from you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. And I, I love how we saw that with Jacob. He took a step towards God, and God took a step towards him. God says, you're coming to Bethel, I'll protect you on the way. Look at verse 6. We saw, number one, God initiated the process of association. 
God wanted to associate or socialize with Jacob, but Jacob had to be in Bethel. Number two, God initiated the process of separation. God initiated the process of separation. I don't know if you noticed as we read the chapter, but there were three deaths that took place in this chapter. And I believe those deaths all represent something. The first death we find in verse number 8. Actually, let's just begin reading in verse number 6. The Bible says, So Jacob came to love, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bekuth. Now, just real quickly, go with me back to Genesis chapter 24, and look at verse number 58. Genesis chapter 24, and look at verse number 58. Genesis 24 and verse 58. You say, who's Deborah? Well, Deborah is sitting right there. No, I'm just kidding. Deborah in the Bible, and there's a few Deborahs in the Bible, but Deborah, Genesis chapter 24, if you look at verse 58, do you remember when Rebekah first left Padanaram to go marry Isaac when Abraham sent his servant to find him a story? We preached a whole sermon on that, and there was a big miracle that took place and all that. But if you look at verse 58, when Rebekah was leaving uh, to go marry Isaac, the Bible says in Genesis 24, 58, and they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Because they were saying, you know, do you want to go with this man, you know, travel back to Canaan land and marry Isaac? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse. Notice that. And Abraham's servant and his men. So back when Rebekah left Paranaram as a young lady, they sent with her her nurse. And her nurse was this lady named Deborah. And what happened was, when Jacob left Paranaram and came back, at some point he realized that his mother had died, or he'd been told his mother had died, but his, nur- his mother's nurse, and the nurse that was like uh, someone who watched over her, or took care of her, was like, a, uh, maybe like uh, today we would think of a, of a nanny, but more than a nanny, she was with her the whole lot, her whole life. She was there to nurse her and take care of her. And, and, Deborah, and Jacob found that his mother, Rebecca, was dead, but Deborah was still alive, and he had Deborah come live with him. And the Bible says that Deborah died. But, but please, you know, don't miss this. Verse 6 and 7 tell us what Jacob did. Well, I was right. God told Jacob to go to Bethel, correct? And in verse 6, the Bible says, So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his father. So mission accomplished, right? Jacob did what he was supposed to do. He went to Bethel, he built an altar, just like God told him to. But if you look at verse number 8, the very first word of verse number 8, the Bible says, but. That word but there expresses a link between Genesis 35.7 and Genesis 35.8. You say, why, why does the event of Genesis 35.7, why does it have to do with the events of Genesis 35.8? He says, but Deborah, and here's the idea. Even though the events took place in Genesis 35, 6 and 7, even though Jacob went to the house of God, even though Jacob brought his entire family to the house of God, even though Jacob built an altar in the house of God, even though Jacob began to 
and socialize with God and begin to, you know, put his life together. But, tells us, even though he went to church, Deborah still died. But, Deborah died. Let me tell you something. You decide... My life is a mess. I'm going to get myself back to church. I'm going to get myself back to God. I'm going to get myself back to doing right. I'm going to get back to the house of God. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to tell you something, but will still happen. But Deborah will still die. But trials will still come. Deaths will still come. You will go through trials. You cannot have this idea. Well, I get to church and my life will be fine, right? I mean, I'll have a nice job. I have a nice 401k. I'll go on vacation. Uh, I won't have any trials. I won't have any heartaches. I won't have anything. No, that's not the Christian life. You know, I know we preached on it this morning, but the Christian life is about building and battling. And that, that buck there lets me know that Jacob's feeling was, why, God, why did Deborah die? I'm doing right. I'm in church, but he says, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died. You say, what is, what, what's, so, what, what's so fancy about Deborah that, that she would be mentioned? Well, Deborah was Rebecca's nurse. Deborah represents a few things. Deborah's death represents the death of Jacob's past. Because Deborah was an association with Rebecca. Jacob, if you remember, was Rebecca's favorite son. Deborah represented childhood memories of Jacob. She was there as he grew up. She was there before he was born. Deborah more than likely acted as the nurse for Jacob in the same way that she acted for the nur- as the nurse of Rebecca. Deborah, if we just read right now, was originally from Panaram. So could you imagine Jacob's wives? Remember, he married the two wives, Leah and Rachel from Panera, plus the two uh, handmaids. So Deborah was probably having the time of her life, catching up with old friends, asking about Laban, asking about these people. So Deborah represents Jacob's old life. But here's what you got to understand. Look at verse number 9. Do you remember when Jacob wrestled with God, and God did what for, for, for Jacob? He blessed him, and he did what? Does anybody remember? He changed his name. Do you remember that? He changed his name to Isaac. Look at, look at verse 9. Well, let's just read verse 8. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alobakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Panaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob, thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name, and he shall, and he called his name Israel, and God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins, and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land, and God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Do you notice what happened? Deborah dies, and the very next verse, God is talking to Jacob about, you remember your name is Israel now? And God is reminding Isaac, I'm sorry, Jacob, of the covenant that he made with Isaac and with Abraham. See, Deborah's death represents the death of Jacob's past because God did not want Jacob in the place of Jacob. He wanted Israel. In the place of Jacob. You understand what I'm saying? When there's a, when there's a change in the name in the Bible, that's not just a, a name change because they didn't like their name. 
A name change in the Bible represents the change of an attitude, the change of a character, the change of a person. Saul went from Saul, the persecutor of the church, to Paul, the great missionary of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abram went from the man who could not have children, who was living with his father, to Abraham, the great patriarch you know, of the nation of Israel, both spiritual and physical. And Jacob went from a deceiver and a liar to Israel, the great prince of God who had power with God and man. And Deborah had to die. Because all of those old memories, all of those old paths, Jacob had to die. The, like we're preaching this morning, the old man has to die so the new man could move forward. That's what that represents. Look at verse number 16. We're almost done, I promise. We just have a few more verses to look at. Look at verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come from Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard label. Now, notice that they left Bethel. Now, why did they leave Bethel? I don't know. God told them to dwell. If you look at verse 1 of the same chapter, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. God said, I want you to live in Bethel. But Jacob, like many of us, is just stubborn, and is just backsliding, and he leaves the house of God, and knows what happens. He leaves the house of God and journeyed from Bethel, verse 16, and there was but a little way to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul, look what it says, her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called his name Benjamin, and Rachel died. That's the second death in this chapter. And was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Now look, Rachel was not an elderly woman ready to give up her life. She was having her second son. This was an untimely death. And Rachel dies. You say, what does that represent? Well, Deborah's death represents the death of Jacob's past. Rachel's death represented the death of Jacob's love. Do you remember that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah? Remember that Jacob loved Rachel more than any of his wives. Do you remember when Jacob, when Esau was coming and Jacob thought Esau was going to kill his entire family? He put all the wives with all their children in order, but he put Rachel at the end to keep her the most protected. I believe Jacob loved Rachel more than anyone on earth, including God. And when God initiates the process of separation, please listen to me. When God initiates the process of separation in your life, when God wants to sanctify your life, He's going to have to slowly remove those things that are keeping you from Him. He takes Deborah because it represents Jacob's past. He takes Rachel because it represents Jacob's love. Jacob loved Rachel more than anyone else, and God needed Israel to love God more than anyone else. Go with me to Luke 14, quickly. Luke 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Look at Luke chapter 14. We are watching God slowly separate Jacob unto himself. 
Look at Luke chapter number 14 and verse 26. Luke chapter number 14 and verse 26. Look at what Jesus said. Now these verses are often misunderstood. But Jesus said this, If any man come to me, notice what he says, And hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now people have to say, Does Jesus want you to hate your mom? No. Please understand what he's teaching. He's using an example. He's going. He's saying, he's saying, you know what? Your love for Jesus Christ and God ought to be so intense that people even think that you hate your own life, that you hate your own mom and your own siblings and your own wife, because your love for God is so intense that your love for anyone else just seems like a hate. Look at Matthew chapter number twelve. Look. And you say, oh, that's kind of weird. Well, well, Jesus, you know, do you think Jesus was weird? Because he exemplified this. Matthew chapter number 12, look at verse number 46. Matthew chapter number 12, look at verse 46. Matthew 12, 46, the Bible says this. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brother? And he stretched forth his hand toward the, his disciples, and said, Behold my mother and my brother, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now look, Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mother. He was trying to make a point. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, looked at his mother and looked at the disciple whom he loved, John, and made sure that his mother was going to be taken care of. He loved his mother. He was respectful to his mother. But he's making an illustration that our love for God has to be so intense that it almost seems like you hate your own life. Jacob had a love for Rachel that God could not allow Israel to have. So God had to remove Rachel. God had to remove Deborah. Because look, our past has to die. Our old man has to die. And any love that we have more than God has to die if we're going to be separated to God. Go back to Genesis 35. Let's look at the last step. Actually, I'm sorry. There's one more point there. Genesis 35. Look at verse number... Look at verse number 16. Genesis, uh, you know, actually, go, go, go with me to Genesis chapter number 30. Look at verse number 1, just so you can see this. Genesis chapter number 30, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who, with, who hath withheld him, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her, and Bilhah conceived, and bare Jacob a son. Pass, and go back to Genesis 3.5. In Jacob's past, when Rachel wasn't able to have children, you remember, and we just read that, Rachel gave Jacob her handmaid, Bilhah, to be able to have children in her stead. Look at Genesis 35, look at verse number 21. Genesis 35, look at verse number 21. Genesis 35 and verse 21, 
the Bible says this, And Isaac journeyed, well let's read verse 19, And Rachel died, and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is a pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And look what happens, verse 22. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. A wicked sin. And Israel heard it. Now, the sons of Jacob were twelve. And in the next few verses, we have a lineup of Jacob's sons, the Bible says, and the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulon, and the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, and Dan, and of Tali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padanaram. Now, did you notice that when they talked to us about all those sons, there's only one son that they commented on, and that was Reuben. See, those verses are there to highlight for us Reuben's position. The Bible says that Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. And in the verse right before that, the Bible says, And it came when Israel dwelt in the land, that Reuben, his firstborn son, went in, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Reuben, as Jacob was maybe weeping for his wife Rachel, Reuben goes in and lays with his father's concubine, who happened to be Rachel's maid. See, you got to understand, when God begins to take things from you, every thought, every gift, everything that Rachel ever meant to Jacob had to be eradicated. Bilhah reminded Jacob of Rachel, because Bilhah was given to Jacob by Rachel. So what happens? Reuben lays with Bilhah and defiles that whole thing. Because that, all of it has to be taken out. You cannot love anybody more than God. As God begins to separate you, He will begin to take those things that you love. And, and Reuben was there, his father's firstborn. But I want you to notice this. I don't know if you've noticed as we've been reading, but we keep referring to Jacob as Jacob. Throughout the entire chapter, and in few instances, it talks about Israel usually in a spiritual sense. But in verse 24, look at what it says. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And look what it says. Israel heard it. It doesn't say Jacob heard it. If Jacob would have heard it, there would have been blood. If the old man would have heard it, there would have been struggle. But the new man heard it. Israel. The spiritual man heard it. Israel. And he was able to deal with it. Look at verse number 27. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And there we find the third death in this chapter. And that is the death of Isaac, Jacob's father. You say, what does that represent? Well, we've dealt with this subject extensively throughout the life of Jacob, so I don't want to take too much time on it. But do you remember that there was a time in Jacob's life when he wanted a blessing from his father Isaac so bad that he was willing to lie? But what he really needed was a blessing from God. And when God 
gave him his blessing, he changed him from Jacob to Israel. The death of Jacob, the death of Isaac represents anything that Jacob had as a substitute for God. See, Jacob needed, Israel needed God's blessing, but Jacob wanted Isaac's blessing. And he substituted God with Isaac, therefore Isaac, as the separation process of Isaac had to go. Now here's what you got to understand. All these deaths did not happen just one after the other after the other. They happen through a process of time, but they're given to us all in one chapter because God is trying to emphasize one thing. The first step in the Christian life after salvation is to begin to associate yourself with God. That's by coming to church. That's by going to Bethel. That's by commuting in fellowship with God. But once you start coming to church, the next step is God is going to initiate the process of separation where He's going to slowly take from your life those things that are separating you from Him. We will hear of Jacob again towards the end of the story of Joseph. For the most part, we're done with learning about Jacob. But I hope as we studied the life of Jacob, I hope you saw the full circle. He went to Bethel and he got saved. And then throughout his life, he was constantly being separated and sanctified. And that's the Christian life. And look, let me explain something to you. You either willingly give up things to get yourself closer to God, or God will force those deaths. God will force those things. I'm not saying your physical family members are going to die, but God will remove things. We allow our job to come before our service for God, and God will remove that job. You allow your children to become more important to you than God, God will remove those children. I'm just warning you right now. I see people all the time, they allow relationships. They begin dating somebody, and all of a sudden they don't have time for church. I'm telling you right now, that relationship, if you are a Born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you're a son of God or a daughter of God, God will remove that relationship. God will remove that. He might allow you to have it for some time, but God will always work on you. Remember, we were, we were talking about that this morning? He's building you. And God is constantly working on you to separate you unto Himself. And that's what the word holy means. The word holy and sanctification and sanctified, all of those words, they mean, they mean this. Being separated and set to God. And on our lives, you know the Bible calls us saints? If you're a Christian, the Bible calls us, you know, the Bible, we were sitting there in the book of Acts, chapter 10, is the only, is the first time that the term Christians was used towards Christians, and it was by the unbelievers. You remember that when we were saying that? The unbelievers looked at them and called them Christians. But in the Bible, it calls us believers, it calls us brethren, and it calls us saints. And he said, we're called saints. Why? Because we've been separated from the world. And we've been set apart for God. That's the Christian life. And you either do it willingly or God will do it. God will separate you. Because He wants you to live a sanctified... First Corinthians 15 says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And then He says, Touch not the unclean thing. Why? Because He wants you separated. He wants you sanctified. He wants you saved. He wants you to be in His will. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you Lord so much for the life of Jacob.